things dovetailed with um, this trip back, um, ministry changes and new ministry, and we're leaving another child here in the States um, to go to Bible college, and um, uh, just a lot of things, and then we had to have the opportunity to be able to come, so um, what I'm going to do is just give a few minutes of testimony. I'm, I, I looked through my notes and tried to see the last time we were here what what um, I said and what, I, didn't, I don't think I was able to give much of a testimony last time. I want to give you a little background of where uh, we're coming from, and then just a little bit about Bulgaria, what God has done there, and then um, a lesson from the Bible that God has taught us, and maybe a little bit, um, some stories about Bulgaria in there. But uh, my, my family's brought up Catholic, so my, my grandfather was 100% Italian, my grandmother was 100% Polish, so my dad was 200% Catholic. Um, we're from Buffalo, New York, and um, you know, went to, my dad went to, my dad and my aunts went to parochial schools, Catholic schools, their entire lives, and um, when my dad got out of school, my grandfather had started a business there in Buffalo and had passed that business on to my dad, and everything that the world says you need to have in order to be happy, my parents had at that time. Um, they had the money. When you have money in the world, you have friends. They had things that people try to uh, you know, fill that void with. And, but they didn't have Jesus. They knew, this, they knew facts about God, they, and they believed that there was a God. And that's a good starting point to know that there is a God because we live in a country now where people don't even know that there's a God or they won't admit there's a God or they say there is no God. So um, their life continued on and um, a roommate of my mother from um, college had gotten saved and she invited my parents to go to her church. That was, they, were, they were having their one-year anniversary and it was a different city, about an hour and a half away in Rochester, New York. And my parents showed up for that service. My dad was 29 years old, 29-year-old Catholic. He sat in the back row. It was a little church meeting in a, renting a funeral home. And my dad sat in the back row of that service and heard the gospel for the first time in his life and got saved. First time, because the gospel makes sense. If you know that you're a sinner, and we all, do, and we all know that there's a price on sin, and my dad... He believed, that he believed in God, but all he had up to that point was religion. And religion blinds you. It does, it does not give you answers. And it, it, it gives you false hope. And so my, my dad heard the gospel, got saved, and got into church. Um, it was a couple years later. He went back to Buffalo. You know, he, he didn't know where to go to church, but thank the Lord, he directed us to a good church. So um, Faith Bible Baptist Church up in Eden, New York, was the church that we got into and started to grow in. And that church was started, I think, in 1982, maybe 1983. They just had their missions conference, and they might run 100 people, 120 people on, on Sunday morning, and they, this year, will give over a, a third of a million dollars to missions, $350,000 to missions, and they've started five other churches in the last 40 years there at that church. That's the church my dad got into when we first got into church. And so I grew up, from the time I was six, grew up in a Christian home, going to you know, church three times a week, going out witnessing on Saturdays, and um, so I kind of grew up with uh, you know, hearing good preaching, 
And I, was, I, I got saved at a young age, but when I was 16 years old, on my, my 16th birthday, I remember thinking the night before, you know, if I'm going to be in church and, you know, serve the Lord, we were teaching, I was teaching junior church, we were working, just doing that, leading songs on Wednesday, my dad was pastoring at that time. By the way, my dad sold his business at 35, went to Bible college at th- the age of 35, and turned his back on a good salary to make just about nothing. We were like the people that we didn't have anything to eat, and somebody knocked on their door and left a box of groceries. That was us. Um, but, but he had the peace of God, and, and God, that's what God offers. And uh, so anyway, on my 16th birthday, we were you know, doing a lot of stuff in the church. It was a, it was a rough area we were in. It was, a, it was in Syracuse, New York. It was a city church. And um, I remember thinking, you know what? This is, I'm going to believe this because this is what I believe, not because this is what my parents believe. And it was at that point that God started working in my life. Just about six months later, God called me to the mission field, July 14th, 1994. I was 16 years old. And then a year later, we moved, my family moved to my wife's church where she attended. And um, that was a big, bigger church out in the country there in New York, running four or 500 people. And I was sitting in the preacher boy row over here, and I saw Katie. And I told the guy next to me, I'm like, I'm going to ask that girl to sit with me in church. I was 17, and she was 15. I don't know what her parents were thinking, but... I said, I'm going to ask her. I asked her to sit with me in church, and, and she said, well, you've got to ask my dad. I said, okay, where's your dad? And her dad was sitting in the back row. His arms were folded like this. I didn't realize that all, Katie came from a family of all girls. They were all teenage girls. And everybody in New York hunts deer. Most people hunt deer, but her father hunted teenage boys, so I did not know that <laughs> at that time. So uh, anyway... I asked him, and he said that would be fine, so we sat together there in that front row, and we dated for four years. It was love at first sight. I basically saw, I coveted, and I took, and we were married four years later, and the Lord has blessed us with 13 children. We've been over there in Bulgaria since 2003, so we went to Bible college after that, and it was in Bible college at just, just a regular old you know, class maybe like on a Tuesday morning at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock or something, but we were going through the countries of the world and we got to Bulgaria. I mean, who knows anything about Bulgaria? I don't know anything about Bulgaria, or I didn't. Um, Anybody know a Bulgarian here? Are there any Bulgarians in the room? Okay, does Bulgaria really exist? This is my next question. (laughs) Well, actually, we just sit up in Buffalo and just act like we're missionaries to Bulgaria. No, I didn't know anything about Bulgaria, but as soon as that teacher started speaking on Bulgaria... That the Holy Ghost just was squeezing my heart, and I knew that whole 45 minutes that he gave that lecture, I knew God was calling me. And so as soon as that class was over, I told him, and then we were engaged. I told Katie, and we sort of set our faces towards Bulgaria. And we, uh, I graduated 2000, Katie 2001, and we started deputation. And um, we didn't go with the mission board. We're just at a local church. So... We're like, let's, we'll travel for 18 months. Whatever we can raise in 18 months, then that's what we're going to go with. And we just made a point at the beginning. We weren't going to put any financial prayer requests in our prayer letters. We're going to, if, look, if God can't take care of my family without me helping God out, then I'm not moving my family across the world to live in this God-forsaken place. And so, well, you know what? It's been 22 years, and the Lord has been faithful. Imagine that. 
because whatever God's called you to do, God, our, 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 problem, our problem in getting the gospel to the world is not money. That's not the problem. God has plenty of money. That is not the problem. The problem is people. The problem is people that are willing to go. And we, we all have our excuses. And when we were on deputation, we had a guy, we had a missionary call us. He was living in the United States. Missionary to Bulgaria, living in the United States. Don't ask me how that works. I'm trying to figure that one out. That'd be nice. He's like, oh, I didn't know this guy. He's like, what do you plan on doing when you get to Bulgaria? I'm like, start a church. That's what missionaries do. They start churches. To start a church. He said, well, you can't start a church. It's against the law. I said, okay, thank you, brother. For I'm, you know, I'm 22 years older, 23. This guy's 35, 40. Just, he's just calling people, encouraging the brethren, right? I got off the phone, and I checked. You know, I looked it up, and sure enough, it was against the law to go to Bulgaria as a missionary. You had to go into a state-sanctioned church. You couldn't just go there and start your own church, start an independent church. And so we continued on towards Bulgaria. I mean, there was a point where we could have said, well, you know, that country's closed, you know, and we could have made our excuse and explaining the, the reason why to people, they would have been like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, you know, just, you know, kind of wait or go to a different country, see this, this, that, or the other. There's always, you don't have to make up excuses to not do the will of God. There's always a good excuse. And we paint the excuses to each other and we accept the excuses from each other because we have excuses also and we want them to accept our excuses. The problem is we don't answer to each other. You're going to stand before God and answer to him why you didn't do what God told you to do. You're going to answer to him, wife, why you didn't let your husband go to the mission field. Because that's the number one reason that men can't go to the mission field is their wives. Number two reason, reason is men are wimps nowadays. I mean, they can't take anything. They, you know, somebody steps on their toe or says something mean to them, and they got and they're well. I'm, God called me back to my wife's home church. I mean, everybody gets called back to their wife's home church. I don't know how that works either. But the the problem is not money. It's not what we. It's not that the world's bad, and you know we can't see revival because the world's bad. No, we can't see revival because we're cold, because we're lukewarm. That's why. And we blame it on the world, we blame it on Hollywood, we blame it on this, we we blame it on politics, we blame it on everything else. But it's us, where's the problem? Because we're making our excuses why it can't be done. And so, well, the Lord was like, you're going to Bulgaria? I said, okay, we're gonna, we'll just keep on going. And lo and behold, the Lord still knocks down the walls of Jericho. I mean, my God does. So we're on our way to Bulgaria. It's 2002, we're traveling in the States, country's closed, we're getting ready to move. And we were going to travel for 18 months and then move. And a Bulgarian politician came into Bulgarian parliament in 2002 with a new bill he had written up. And the new bill stated that anybody in the world can come to Bulgaria and start a church. They voted on the bill. The bill passed. And the bill went into effect January 1st, 2003. And we moved over in July of 2003. And the Lord was just like, boom, you're in. Because that's what God does. God doesn't call you to do something that he's not going to provide for you to get done. And he just opened the doors, sent us there, and so we moved in 2003. We moved with three little boys, a two-year-old, a one-year-old, and a six-week-old. And we just were basically just thrown out onto an island. There were no Americans, no missionaries, for sure, no Americans in our city, half a million people. And they speak Bulgarian. It sounds, we sang a verse there tonight, but it sounds a little... Russian-y. I don't know if anybody speaks Russian, but like, Dobro vecher, kakste, tazi vecher. Mnogo se radme, das me se zvas. 
искам да да ям сладо летва в момента. I could use an ice cream, I said. <laughs> uh, but um, I've preached more sermons in Bulgarian. I've preached about uh, between 2,500 and 3,000 times in Bulgarian and only about 500 times in English. So if I start speaking in tongues tonight, it's not because I'm a charismatic. <laughs> and I will translate myself. So, um, so we moved over in 2003 and, and, and you know, I had in my head what I wanted to accomplish. <coughs> Excuse me, whoa, which way do I cough here? <coughs> there we go. Um, you know, I went to a very uh, zealous Bible college, and I had in my head when I got out, let's go to Bulgaria, give me 18 months, we'll start a church. We had to learn, the, we didn't know the language. I mean, I know how to say, like, how you doing? That was about it. We had to learn the language. We didn't know anybody, but we're going to start a church in 18 months, then we'll get, that first year, we'll get, you know, 10 people in a church. Then year number two, we'll teach those people how to get other people. We'll have 20 people. And then year four or five, we'll start a Bible institute. Year 10, we'll start graduating guys and starting churches around. And year 20, like Bulgaria's done, and Lord sent me on to the next country. This is like what, what was in my head. And <coughs> Bulgaria is, if you don't know where it is, it's, if you know where Greece is, you know where the Mediterranean is. And then Greece is right there on the Mediterranean. Bulgaria is right above Greece. Like Thessalonica is an hour from our border. Um, on, on this, yeah, and Philippi is like an hour from our border. Uh, Ephesus is about six-hour drive down into Turkey, and right above us is Romania. But Bulgaria is a small country. Um, it's about the size of Ohio or Tennessee. Seven million people uh, speak Bulgarian. They say they're Orthodox. If you read on Wikipedia, it'll say like 80% Orthodox or something. But it's, about, it's probably about 20% Orthodox, practically, people would, that would be Orthodox, and then probably 10 to 15% Muslim, and then the rest of the people are just atheists. Uh, they don't believe that there is a God, or they, or they live like there is no God, and like they're not going to stand before God. And that's, it's, it's hard for us as Americans to comprehend that, although there's more and more of those type of people over here. But when there is no God, there is no moral compass. And in America, we have a, there is a moral compass still. I mean, America is like no other country in the world, still. I mean, nothing's even close. America is, is like a Sunday school picnic compared to the rest of the world. And now, we're going the wrong direction at like 300 miles an hour, but, but it's still different than everywhere else in the world. And the number one reason is in America, you can accept Christ as your personal savior And society will not turn their back on you. You're not turning your back on your American heritage. You're not turning your back on your family. You're not turning your back on your religion, your roots, or anything. Because America was founded on religious liberty. You go to any other country in the world, you go to Italy, you're turning your back on not just your religion, but your country, your history, your family. You go to Poland, same thing. You go to a Muslim country, you're, you're turning your back on, this, on the same thing, just Islam, but you're turning your back on your family, you're turning your back on everything. And to take a step for Christ is, is a life-altering decision in almost every country of the world. Everything changes when you make that decision. You're putting everything on the line, except the United States. You're not going to lose your job because you get saved. You know, they're not going to kick you out of your house because you get saved. Your family's not going to disown you for, you know, most people if you get saved. And America is still different than any other country in the world. And Bulgaria is an Orthodox country, so they would treat us like a cult. You know, we're a cult. Like, 
you know, if somebody, if you knew a Mormon, I don't know if you have Mormons in North Carolina, but if you knew Mormons, and they're like, well, why don't you come to the Mormon temple? We're having a shindig at the Mormon temple. We, you know, as Baptists, we're like, we don't even want to step inside of a Mormon temple, right? Like, I don't even want to go to the kingdom hall ever for the Jehovah Witness. I don't want to step inside. We're almost, we're almost superstitious about it. And that's the way they look at us. They're like, that's a cult. They're going to steal the, you know, they're going to steal the souls of your children. And, and, and so when we started the church in 2005, I, I don't have time to tell you how, it, how the Lord worked that out, but it was just really neat. We started 18 months to the day after we moved there, Black Sea Independent Baptist Church. And we found very quickly that the people were not replying the way we thought they were going to. Um, I had this American mindset when we moved there that if people just had the truth, they would respond. If they just had light, they would go to the light. But men love darkness because their deeds were evil, are evil. And we found out quickly that they don't want the light. They're not interested. And there's a lot of places in the world. In fact, most places prefer their superstitious religions and they prefer the stability of a man-made institution, a man-made religion to the liberty that is in Jesus Christ. They prefer it. They don't want to step out and give themselves to somebody. They want to control themselves. It's their life. It's my life. I mean, this is the new mantra in America, right? It's my body. It's my life. This is, you know, I, I'm going to make decisions for myself. But when we're, as Christians, we don't get to say that anymore because you don't belong to yourself anymore. You're bought with a price. You, you, don't, get, you don't get to make decisions anymore. He gets to decide. And, and, and this is what we're sort of left behind like, because in America it's so easy to be a member of a church without getting your toes stepped on because, because a lot of the pastors are getting, they like to have people in the pews because they take offerings and they, they like paychecks and stuff like that. But we, we, we've got to the point where we, we want Jesus and we want to make all decisions of our life for ourselves. We, we want the American dream. Just to, just to let you know the American dream is not in the Bible. Amen. Why don't you read the book of Acts? American dream, not in the Bible. God don't care about your paint job on your house. God doesn't care how much you pay to take care of your lawn or how your, how your bushes are trimmed every year. God don't care. And nobody else in the world does that except Americans. But we gotta keep up with the Joneses. We gotta keep things in order. We gotta you know, do this. We gotta do that. And when you stand before God, he's, he doesn't care what your lawn looked like or how, many, how much carpet you had in your house or how new your car was or if you have air conditioning in your car or if your windows work. God doesn't care about anything to do with any of those things. He cares about, did the gospel of my son get to the world? That's why we're saved. God left us here for a purpose. Read the book of Acts. It's to get the gospel to the world. No matter where you're at. I mean, we happen to be in Bulgaria, but in North Carolina, in, in the United States, and we should have a vision for the world. We should have a vision for the world. You know, the world is a dark place when it comes to churches that preach the gospel. We've been in 185 cities in Bulgaria and over 2,500, 2,600 villages. And I can count on one hand the number of churches that give a gospel presentation in that country. There, are, there is one other independent Baptist church, two Bulgarians in the country. The, the, the guy's been there seven years, just had his first baptism about a month ago, six weeks ago, after seven years and trying to get a church off the ground. 
Our church in Varna was the only independent Baptist church to Bulgarians in the country. I mean, if you can imagine, the, if this were the only church in the state of North Carolina. I don't know how many people are in North Carolina. I guess seven, eight million, nine million, something like that. If this was the only church. What if this church was responsible to get the gospel to the entire, the entire state of North Carolina? Now, that's what we're talking about here. The world, that's how dark the world is. And we're over here worried about, you know, putting lines on the parking lot. And we're over here worried about, you know, we got to paint our house or we got to take $8,000 and go visit a place. We've, we've never been to, on a mission trip, but we're going to take $8,000 and go visit a place that hates Jesus Christ, that promotes homosexuality, that rhymes with Blizzneyland, and we're not going to listen to what Jesus said when he said, go ye into all the world. Well, who do you think he was talking to when he said, go ye into all the world? Who do you think he was talking to you? You think that there's just certain people that they're the ones that are supposed to do that? He was talking to all of us. The Bible says Jesus saw them and had compassion on them. There's something about going and seeing. Hey, look, you may not spend 40 years in Africa, but go to Africa one time. Instead of wasting your money on people that hate Jesus Christ, take that $8,000 and go to Africa. You're a young family, take your two kids and go to Africa. Well, is it safe? Oh, is it safe? Are you kidding me? Is it safe? I had a pastor ask me, he's like, is it safe for, me, for my wife and I to fly over and visit you in Bulgaria? Are you an idiot in any other area of your life? My wife lives there. My children live there. Is it safe? Since when is safety the number one issue with God? Read the book of Acts. Again, I go, I say, they hazarded their lives for the gospel's sake. Jesus died on a cross. Paul had his head chopped off. James had his head chopped off. Peter was crucified upside down. Is it safe? And we wonder, and we, and we pray for revival. And we're praying for revival. Are you kidding me? We're, look, our problem in America is not that we pray too much and we're fasting too much. I see that we're not fasting too much, all right? No, I'm just kidding. But our problem is not, is, that is not our problem. Our problem is we're playing the victim and we're pointing our fingers to everywhere else that the problem lies why we don't have revival when the reason is right here. Because we want to be all spiritual when it comes to everybody else, but when it comes to us, well, I, you know, I, got, to take, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to, I got to be safe, I got to take care of my family. Well, you don't think I have to take care of my family? But it's not my life anymore. I'm bought with a price. And he's the one that makes the decisions, not me anymore. So I'm not saying everybody needs to be a missionary, but everybody should be willing if God tells you to go. If God says, I want you to go to you know, South America, I want you to learn this language, do this, do that, we're, we're all, we all should be at his beck and call. So we moved over 2005, started that church, and just started banging our heads against the walls. And we realized that the Lord was, had sent us to Bulgaria to teach us. And we're going to look at, look at, you can take your Bibles, turn to the book of Jonah real quick. The book of Jonah We're going to look at chapter 4. We'll look at a few verses here. While you're turning there, as I grew up in church, I, I was in good churches. The men were good men. They taught the Bible. But there was this, this false thinking that I had that if, you know, if I were faithful and I were, I were good and I, you know, I didn't smoke and I didn't cuss and I, you know, got, you know, obeyed all the rules that the church had that at some point I could be a Sunday school teacher 
And then, you know, after I was a Sunday school teacher for a while, you can kind of move up and, you know, work with the youth or be a youth pastor. And then, you know, you kind of, you're faithful at that for a few years and you can maybe be an assistant pastor or, or associate pastor, something like that. And then maybe after doing that for a few years, you can, you know, be a, a head pastor somewhere. And then maybe after a few years of that, you become an evangelist. Well, no, skip the evangelist. But you can, you know, someday if you do everything right, you be, become a missionary. It's like the top of the rung. But that is not true. It's not true. There are no spiritual people. There's nobody in this room that's spiritual, myself included. We are nothing without God. We have all gone out of our way. We are, to, we are all together become, uh, we've, we're, we're sheep without God. Everything that we do that is good is by the grace of God. There's not, there's not oh, it's the spiritual purpose. You just look at Ahab. You look at these guys that we look at, like Manasseh, the worst king Jude ever had, and, or Ahab, you know, both of those guys repented and humbled themselves and God had mercy on them. And then you take somebody like Solomon, the wisest man in the Bible, and the Bible says that his wives turned his heart away from God. He was building altars in the groves for false gods. This is Solomon. And we look at Solomon, oh, look at this wise, this wise spiritual person, and oh, Ahab is this, you know, terrible, wicked person. No, they're about this far apart. The most spiritual people in the Bible and the, and the wickedest people in the Bible are that, about that far apart. But we got in our heads that uh, I'm worthy to be used by God. No, you're not. Nobody is. And you know what? That, that, sometimes that hinders us from obeying God. We're like, oh, I could never do that. You're right, you couldn't. But God can do stuff through you. That you, that you can't do. Well, I'm not good enough. Nobody's good enough. Right. So what are you going to do? Quit, just sit on our couches? Well, you know, I failed again. Adjust, man, rise up again. Rise up, seven to fall seven times and gets up again. Because we're, we're relying on his power, not our power. His strength, not our strength. We have the Holy Ghost in us to lead us on. And God taught us this lesson that, look, God didn't put us in Bulgaria because we're the answer for Bulgaria. He put us in Bulgaria to teach and train us. And the, the outgrowth of that, the end of that is people get the gospel in Bulgaria. But God's working on us. Look at Jonah here, chapter 4. And this, this chapter just doesn't make sense to an American. I mean, it just doesn't. It's just, let's look at it. Verse number 1. But it pleased jo- displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. What's he talking about? He had just preached to this city of, who knows, a couple hundred thousand people, and the entire city had repented. Now, I, did I hear that you're having some kind of special Christmas thing next week or something like that? Let's say the whole county of, what county are we in? Iredell County. The whole county of Iredell comes to the Christmas program and repents and turns to God and says, we need a Savior. Give us Jesus Christ. Nobody is going to be displeased with that. I mean, we're going we're gonna to be having like a celebration service, right? We're going to be singing songs. We're going to be weeping. We're going to be having testimony time. It's going to be awesome. But nobody's going to be sitting there displeased. Nobody's going to be angry, sitting there angry about it. Oh, stinking, uh, the whole county. Now what are we going to do? You know, we have no more work to do. Nope, nobody's going to be saying that. Look at Jonah, verse number two. And he prayed unto, Jonah prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying? Now I want you to, 
as we read this verse, I want you to picture how we talk to God. We do the same thing. We do it. He's going to pray to God. The first thing he says, God, I told you so. Was not this my saying? That's old English for, I told you so. I told you, God. Now, he's going to pray here. Was not this my saying? When I was yet in my country, you can see here his prejudice. He's racist. I was in my country. I told you, God, when I was in my country. Therefore, I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God. Now he's accusing God using God's good attributes. I mean, this is blowing my mind. I knew you were a gracious God. I knew that thou art a merciful God. I knew that you were slow to anger and of great kindness and repentance thee of the evil. Jonah is sitting there, the man of God, the servant of God, who's just preached, God has used them, and Jonah's saying, I knew you were gonna do that. I told you you were gonna do that. He's upset, he's displeased. As you read down, he's like suicidal. He's like, just kill me. But God, you know, God is merciful. Thank the Lord that God, <laughs> thank God that he's merciful with us. Verse three, therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And then the Lord has mercy, says, then the Lord said, doest thou well to be angry? He says, Jonah, okay, take a deep breath, right? Jonah, count to 10. Doest thou well to be angry? I mean, really, step back and just look at everything. He says to Jonah, we're not gonna read the whole story, but Jonah goes out, he's sitting there, it's a hot day, the gourd comes, God has a gourd raised up, it shields him from the heat, and then the, the worm comes, kills the gourd. Jonah goes back to complaining. Look at verse uh, eight. It came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And here, here goes God again with his mercy. And God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. God says, okay, Jonah, what... I mean, should you be that upset about the gourd? You didn't make the gourd come, and you didn't kill the gourd. I made the gourd. What are you so upset about? God was trying to teach Jonah. You know, we get in our heads sometimes that our job is to fix everybody else. It's like, oh, oh I've been teaching Sunday school for 22 years. You know, if this person would just get right with God, our church would go forward. I, mean, I know nobody's thought that before here, but most churches are going to, that, that's the way we think. Well, I'm doing everything that I could do. No, we're not. This is what Jonah was thinking. He's like, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. And look at what is happening. And God's like, would you settle? Just step back, Jonah. Just, just take, take, a, take a deep breath. Look at what's going on. Verse 10. Then the Lord said, Thou hast had pity on the gourd for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, we're in more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. God says to Jonah, you didn't make that gourd grow. You didn't kill that gourd. You're upset about the gourd, and here is a city with 120,000 people that cannot discern their right hand from their left. So there might have been five or 600,000 people in that place. And God said, and you don't, even, and you don't care about those people. And sometimes we get so wrapped up in ourselves and in our ministry. Look, Jonah wasn't doing anything evil here. He just, preached, he just preached repentance to this city. 
He was a Sunday school teacher. He was an assistant pastor. He was a leader. He was God's servant. He wasn't a drunk. He wasn't somebody, <coughs> excuse me, he wasn't somebody sitting in the gutter. This was God's servant, and he didn't understand the mind of God. And I did not understand, and this is ununderstandable, inexplicable, I think is the old word, for us as Americans. But after we moved to Bulgaria, soon became a, it, it, it just all of a sudden made sense. You know, when you serve God and you get, you know, you go to a door and you give somebody a track from the church. By the way, we were in, driving over here today. We stopped at the Goodwill in, we stopped at all the Goodwills. We've even been to the Goodwill in Hollywood. Wow, what a dump that was. Well, we stopped at all the Goodwills with our 38-foot limousine. Sometimes I take a picture because it's so ironic. But um, by the way, I got that limousine for $7,400. I will be selling that in about a month if anybody's interested. It seats 28 people. It's a great bus ministry tool. It runs great. Somebody take it off my hands. Um, but um, what am I, why am I talking about a limo right now? I don't know what I'm, why I'm talking about the limousine. Uh, what was I talking about? What? Oh, Goodwill. So we're at Goodwill today. Yeah, Goodwill. Limousine, Goodwill. Yeah. And at Goodwill, the kids went into the bathroom there, and there's tracks, tracks from a church there on, on salvation, getting saved, and the whole Romans road and stuff. That's, that was kind of neat. By the way, in America, it doesn't matter what state you're in, they have the John 3, 16 signs, and people have signs in their yards, Jesus is Lord. All the states, everywhere you go. You can turn on the radio. I turn on the radio today, J. Vernon McGee preaching on the radio, giving the gospel on the radio. We have access to the gospel in the states, but most of the world does not have access to the gospel. So we've Anyway, in the States, we, you know, we pass out a tract, and you know, somebody, somebody rips up the tract in front of us. Man, we're like milking that story for like three years. It's like, oh, I was, I was passing, just preaching the word. Somebody ripped up a tract right, right in front of my face. If somebody curses us, slams a door in our face, you know, it, it's not something that necessarily discourages us. It's like, oh, man, we, we got to, you know, it's like a feather in our cap. Like, we got to do something for the Lord, right? I mean, we're... We're probably not going to die on a cross for Jesus, but it's always great to be able to give back just a little, right, of what he's given to us. I remember the first time that I got punched in the face, I got punched in the eye, so I had this black eye, I, and we, were, we weren't at home, so I took a selfie, sent it to Katie, was, because that's awesome, you get punched in the eye for the Lord, I didn't really enjoy getting punched at the moment, but like a, a half hour later it was cool. And you read, I mean, you read the, look at like 1 Corinthians. I mean, Paul's in there, you know, I was shipwrecked and I was beaten with rods and I lay on the street for three days. It's like the original Facebook posts. Like Paul's looking for people to like his post. I mean, look, the only thing that's missing is like the pictures. They didn't have cameras back then. But but Paul is like all about, you know, he had been persecuting Christians and now he's being persecuted and he's all about it because he's being able to give back to Jesus a little something. And, And when people are persecuting us, we could deal with that. But when they start messing with your family, all of a sudden, it's like, that's a different thing. Like, you can mess with me, but don't mess with my kids. You want to get on somebody's bad side, mess with their kids. Like, if you have a, I don't know if you have a Christian school here or something, but wow. I mean, parents will defend their kids no matter how hellish they are. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, sometimes there's only kids that a mother can love. But they, I mean, people, you do not mess with people's kids. And, well, God sent us to Bulgaria where, you know, I don't understand why except for the fact that they are 
atheists, but they will slap your kids in the head. They will manhandle your wife. They're just mean. And they will tell you that. If you, if you meet a Bulgarian, they'll tell you that, the ones that have traveled, because they know. And all of a sudden, like, oh, I'm going to be a missionary, and I'm going to go learn the language, I'm going to go start a church, and we're going to go get the gospel of these people. And, you know, I hear missionaries sometimes. Oh, I'm just going to the Missionville just because I love people. That's not going to keep you motivated. Amen. Not going to keep you motivated. Missionaries come back all the time, getting called back to the Weiss Home Church after five years. Five years about the watermark, when all the novelty wears off. Although we're going to the store where there's no peanut butter at the store. We're suffering for the Lord over here. No peanut butter, no pepperoni, you know, no Reese's. These are the things we don't have in Bulgaria. But I hear, you know, they're nowhere in the world. Only in America. America that's why America is the greatest country. But, um, you know, all that novelty wears off. We're, we're learning the language. And, you know, we're trying to find a place. We're learning the language. And then all of a sudden, oh, God called me back to my wife's home church. I mean, this is like, I've heard this story a hundred times. Why? Because it's not, because the motivation was, we're going to win people to the Lord, and when nobody got saved, then what? We're going we're to affect the change in this place, and when the effect, and when the change wasn't effective, then what? When, you're, when your love for those, when your love for those people ran out, then what? Because our love is human love, and it is not enough to keep us motivated for our lives. It has to be the love of God. And so we're sitting in there in Bulgaria, and People are slapping my kids in the head. People are, I mean, we're, we're passed out 70,000. Well, we've hit our city like six times. 70,000 mailboxes. And I remember we changed venues in 2014. We passed out 70,000 flyers in like two weeks. And we had like three visitors show up, like one retarded person, one, you know, serial killer, and, you know, one, you know, one person that was deaf and dumb and... It's like, Lord, what is going on here? And people are rude. Every time my wife was expecting, you know, there was no congratulations. And in America, you get congratulations. Even if you got 10 of them, they may be like, congratulations. But they'll say congratulations, right? But in America, they, you know, people love children. I think even Democrats will like smile at children. They're like, oh, look at a little child. I think even Hillary Clinton would be like, oh, look at a little child. Well, she's probably thinking that for different reasons, but, but not in Eastern Europe. Every time Katie was expecting, I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about the liberal boot-wearing bearded hags. I'm talking about the old grandmothers and stuff. Well, don't you know you can have an abortion? Because honestly, I think everybody we've ever met has had an abortion. They have more abortions than live births in Bulgaria. What? Because there's no God. Who cares? Who cares? It's just, it's just a, a clump of cells. Who cares? There is no God. There's no life after death. Why are you being faithful to your wife or husband? There is no God. What is, what is keeping you together? And there is nothing. They take vacations away from their spouse. Oh, how are they going to do that? What do you mean, how are they going to do that? Why wouldn't you do that? And the wife goes with another man, and the, and the man goes with a different woman who's younger and prettier, and she goes with somebody that's richer, and they can buy more stuff with her. And neither one cares because there is no God you're standing before. Now, when that person slaps your kid in the face, you know what you're going to say? I don't even care if you go to hell. That's what you're going to say. And I know missionaries aren't supposed to say that, but I'm telling you how you stay on the mission field after 20 years in a place like Bulgaria. God has to change your motivation. 
Sometimes I, I'm in conferences with young missionaries going to the field, and they're like, oh, tell us what motivates you. And I always cringe a little, because my, my goal is not to you know, be at odds with somebody else, but I always know the young guys are like, you know, to see the look in their eyes when they get the gospel, and you know, see the kids running up and wanting a track and stuff like that. Look, at a mission strip is not the mission field. A mission trip is not the mission field. Now, you, you see it, and there's just something about it. God can expand your vision just by going. My first trip was to the Philippines. I mean, look at it. If you haven't been on a mission trip, go to the Philippines. That is, is a, it's awesome. There's churches everywhere. Those people are nice. You're not going to get punched in the face. We had a group come down one time. Oh, man, from Romania. Help us do the book of John. And the son of the American missionary was driving the van. So all the Romanians and my people from our church had gone out from that van and the son of the missionary, about 18, 19 years old, was driving the van. He was with the van. Bulgarian came up to him and asked him what he's doing. He's like, we're passing out the book of John. Right in the face. Punch him right in the face. Now, if you want to come to Bulgaria and get punched in the face, you know, more power to you. But go to Philippines. Go to a nice place where the people are going to, you know, be nice to you. And you can see God working. And you see people that are living in abject poverty that God has changed their lives. You know, just go see it. But when it comes down to being what motivates you, those kids coming up to you aren't going to keep you on the field. You're not going to have people baptized every week or people saved every week, and you're going to be at times where there's going to be attack. There's a real attack from the devil because he does not want the gospel of Jesus Christ to go out. And God wants the gospel of Jesus to to go out more than we want the gospel of Jesus to go out. And in 2014, the Lord changed us through this story, changed our motivation. And we are in Bulgaria, and we preach the gospel, not because we're trying to get people saved, but because Jesus Christ is worthy to be preached to everybody. He's worthy. Jesus is worthy. And we didn't change anything. We didn't cut back on what we were doing. In fact, when that's your motivation, you do more. When your motivation is him, and by the way, it's, a, it's all about him. It's not about us. It's not about our ministry. It's not about our little kingdom. It's about Jesus Christ and preaching Jesus Christ to everybody, and he's worthy. And the, and the, uh, the end of Jesus Christ being preached is people get saved. People get saved. But whether they get saved or not, he's still worthy. And whether people listen or not, he's still worthy. And whether you have a hundred or zero at your Christmas program, he's still worthy. And he's still worthy for us to sing his praises. And he's still worthy for us to be thankful and to have a good spirit. And to, this is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in this day, whether everybody's with us or everybody's against us. Because he's worthy. That will motivate you to stay where you're supposed to be until your dying breath. And you could say like Paul, I finished my course. I did it. Because what was motivating Paul? Jesus. He's worthy. He's worth dying for. And he's worth living for. Jesus. And so, I don't know why God has us in Bulgaria. I don't know if we'll ever affect a change there. But I know, you know, I don't have to know. I just need to know that he knows. I just need to know that he knows. There was a story in 2 Samuel chapter 16 where 
Shimei comes and he's cursing David. If you remember that story, just cursing David, cursing David, cursing David. Because he's saying, he's, he's accusing David, excuse me, that David had stolen the kingdom from Saul. Now David hadn't. David knows the truth. Samuel came to him, anointed him. He's a kid out in a field. He didn't know what's going on. God chose him and, put, and, and took that kingdom from the tribe of Benjamin, the house of Kish, from Saul and gave it to the, the tribe of Judah in the house of Jesse. Shimei, after Absalom turned against David, comes out. He's like, I, I knew this was going to happen to you, David. You're a bloody man. You stole the kingdom from you know, our tribe, Benjamin, and, and our family, Kish. He was a you know, he was a cousin or something of Saul's. He goes, and now God's getting you back. You're getting yours now. And if you read the passage there, David says to his, his, his servants, like, would you just take off this guy's head? Just go kill, what is this guy? Who is this guy? Just take off his head. And David says, let him curse. Just let him go. Why? Because David didn't have to know why Shimei was cursing. He knew that God knew. And that was good enough for David. When I'll tell you, I got time for one more story, I think. In 2005, I received an email from a Turkish Muslim living in Pennsylvania. He walked into a church, they had the prayer letters of all their missionaries on the wall. He walked over to our prayer letter. He wrote down our email address, emailed me in Bulgaria, and he said, Can you tell me more about Christianity? And I'm sitting over there in Bulgaria. Of course, we, we learned the language, started the church. People are not getting saved. I'm like, what am I doing here? And I get this email from this Turkish Muslim, and I had never dealt with Muslims before. And I'm thinking to myself, why did you just ask somebody at the church? You know, I mean, you were at the church. You know, you got my email from the church. I think somebody could have told you there. But the Lord was working. And if if you say yes to God and just walk forward for, for God, He will do things that only God, that only can be explained by God. Like God is doing this. That same week in Bulgaria from a church I had never been to, people I had never met, I received a book called Winning Muslims to Christ. Don't tell me that's a coincidence. So this Turkish Muslim in Pennsylvania and I in Bulgaria start corresponding by email and I'm just giving him the gospel. November 11, 2005, he writes, he says, last night I trusted Christ as my savior can you come to Turkey and give me a Bible in Turkish? And can you tell my friends and my family what you told me over email? Now this, now this is what I signed up for when I signed up for missions. Like it wasn't Bulgaria. I'm like, what happened there, Lord? Did I misunderstand something? Were you really trying to send me to the Philippines or something? But this, I mean, would you come and give us the gospel like the Macedonian call, right? It's like, it was like the Turkish call. And so I was like, yeah, we went down there in December 2005. The Lord just changed, our, changed my worldview. We ended up going down 70 or 80 times over the next 10 years, just giving out the gospel. And one time we were down there, I had a couple guys with me from Alaska. We, we had been arrested and we're at the, the, the uh, police station. The chief of police was tall guy, white hair, white mustache, he walks up to me, and they had taken our books of John, and I had two of my boys with me. They were like 10 or 11. He, and he says to me, he goes, are those your sons? Now, in Turkey, they love children. Now, they have the wrong God, but they have a strong 
and deep belief in God, and every culture that has a belief in God loves children. It's as simple as that. The, the farther a culture is away from God, the less sanctity there is in life. In Bulgaria, you should see a funeral. It's like throw them in the pine box. I've been at funerals where the cover's coming off. They're just throwing, throwing a body in the ground. Who cares? There is no God. This body is not the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's just, you know, just let's get on with life. You know, I got to go get drunk tonight. There's somebody I need, you know, there's somebody else I want to sleep with. There's just nothing to do. There's no sanctity in life at all. Sanctity of life. But in Turkey, they love children. We've been there many times where they didn't know we were Christians or anything, but they would see us with six, seven, eight children at a bazaar, open bazaar, and the men would just come up and shake my hand. You must have a deep belief in God because they saw all the children. And this policeman, this chief of police says, are those your children? I said, yes, sir. And I took out my wallet and I had a picture in there of, at that time, we just had the seven kids and they were all boys. So in Eastern cultures, they, there's like a premium on male children. Like God really favors you if you had a male child. Why well, had seven of them? And I, I'm like, I showed him the picture. He's like, we have, we have seven. And that, he looked at that. He looked at me. He looked at that. I, you know, the first question we get from everybody, are they all from one wife? Yes. Yes, they're all from one wife. He took my wallet. He walked behind me, and there was four or five offices. We were on the second floor. He walked into an office. I can hear him talking in Turkish, babbling on. And then, like 30 seconds later, like three heads poked out. He points down to the American with seven sons. He goes across the hall, tells them the same story. Like four heads poke out. That, that guy down there has seven sons. He went to every office on that floor to tell them that they had nabbed an American with seven sons. Like, we got him. Like an hour and a half later, he came back. He gave me my wallet back. And he had a translator with him, and he said, number one, I apologize for putting you through all this hassle. Now, we've been arrested in Bulgaria. We ain't getting no apologies from no Bulgarians, I'll tell you that right now. I mean, they're just rude, mean. They've arrested our kids. They'll pick the kids up in a police car and drive them to the police station. Who does that? Who picks up a 10-year-old kid? He goes, we apologize for putting you through that hassle. And he goes, number two, we're returning all your material. Again, in Bulgaria, they've confiscated our stuff. They just take it. They have no right to. I, mean, I don't have lawyers or time to go. It's the EU. We can pass out free material to whomever we want. He goes, we're returning all your material. And then number three, this chief of police of this city in the most Muslim country in the world said, may I please have a book of John for myself? Now, I don't know why God put us in Bulgaria in 2003 you know, while we've been there for 20 years, we're going back. We'll finish, we'll, we'll get the gospel to every single house in our country in the next five or six years. We've hit 2.1 million houses with the gospel. And we've gotten a smattering of reply, maybe a couple hundred replies. Out of 2.1 million houses, we might have got a couple hundred replies. But if the only reason that God put us in Bulgaria to start a church, and we've had 50 people, we've baptized 50 people, 60 people, but probably 10 of those are my family over the years. 50 Bulgarians, and, and we've been, I mean, Noah was the last one to get slapped in the head. We're leaving him in the States, so he kind of got his feather in his cap before he left Bulgaria, so he got a little persecution. And, I mean, this guy, like six foot eight, barefoot, just walks out with the book of John, whap, right in the face. If we took whatever we took, and we never had a big ministry 
and we never had great results. But if the purpose that God put us there was that one day in 2011, we were at a police station to give this Turkish Muslim the gospel of John, then it's worth it. Because it's not about the, the ministry of the Malucci family. There's something bigger than us. There's something that transcends any one of us or any one ministry or any one family or any one mission and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ and it's the will of God. And I don't need to know why God has me in Bulgaria. I just need to know that he knows. And you don't need to know why God is doing what he's doing in your life. You just need to trust God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's at our fingertips. I'll finish with this illustration. If my son Noah came up to me and said, Dad, may I please work at the you know, FedEx hub? And I say to him, son, you got a job. You're making money. I know you make more money there, but I know those guys down there. I don't think it's a wise thing. And he says to me, yes, sir. Walks away. And the next week he comes back. He goes, Dad, I know we talked about it last week. I know you said no, but would you please let me work at that? I, I want to work at that FedEx hub. I say, son, I just don't think it's a good idea. I mean, I just, I know the guys that are working there. I know the temptations you'll have. I, I don't think it's a good idea. He says, yes, sir. Walks away. And a week later he comes back. He goes, dad, I know we talked about it a couple times, but would you let me work at that FedEx place? Do you realize that every time he comes back to me to ask me to change my mind, he's not showing trust in me. He's showing distrust in me. And we have this warped, um, uh, modern Christianity understanding of God that we need to ask God to change things in our life. And that's somehow making us a good Christian. No, it's not. It's not trusting God. Just trust what he has for you. No, look, our, I'm not saying not to pray for each other. Look, our problem is not, we're not praying too much. Somebody's got cancer. Somebody needs a miracle in their life. Let's the whole church, why don't we fast as a church? And why don't we not just pray or say we're gonna pray and then never pray, right? Does that ever happen? You think, you know, we're gonna pray for you know, sister so-and-so and then that's about as far as it goes. Or Lord bless sister so-and-so. That's about as far as it goes. What about praying all night for somebody? What about you know, fasting for three days? You know, I'm, fast, I'm fasting from dessert. What are you talking about? What Bible are you reading? You're fasting from dessert? Somebody told us recently, a pastor told me, he, he had a guy in his church called to him and said, I'm fasting from food in between meals. <laughs> Wow. Look, it's not going to kill us. Somebody's got cancer. Somebody's hurting. Why don't you fast for them? Your, your, child, your child's away from God? How about fasting for three weeks for them? How about, how about fasting? I'm not saying anything against fasting. I'm talking about when it comes to you not liking what God is doing in your life. God, take this thorn in the flesh away from me. No, Paul. Maybe a week went by, maybe a month, maybe a year. God, would you take away this thorn in the flesh? No, Paul. Paul goes back a third time. Would you take away this thorn in the flesh? No, Paul. My grace is sufficient for thee. Okay, Lord, I 
rejoice in sufferings and persecutions and in, in uh, 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 difficulties. I got it. I'm not going to try to change it anymore. Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will thine be done. No, son, you're going to drink it. Matthew 26, he walks forward a few steps and Jesus says, Father, if it, if it be possible, let this cup pass away. For, let this cup pass. Not my will, but thine be done. No, son, you're going to drink this cup. The Bible says Jesus went forward a third time, said the same words. That's what the Bible says. And then he stopped trying to manipulate God's will. How about just trusting God? You don't need to know. You just need to know that he knows. And then each one of us, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you're in North Carolina, Iriadel County, or in Bulgaria, or in Africa, or in China, or in California, or even in Canada. I mean, even Canadians can you get this now. Each one of us can get to the end of our life and say, I finished my course. Because it's not about us, it's about Jesus. And he's the one that should motivate us. And he's the one that, and God's the one that our Father knows what's going on. You know, if you, if you go back and read the book of Esther, Shimei had a son that had a son that had a son that had a son that had a son whose name was Mordecai. And Mordecai and Esther were the human instruments God used to save the Jews from Haman. Because David didn't need to know, he just knew that God knew. And God took care of it all. God will justify everything. He's worth serving. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your blood that you shed on the cross, Jesus. To pardon us, to cleanse our souls. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be the ambassadors for you here on this earth. This world's not our home. There is no home. We're not going home tonight. We're going to a temporary dwelling where we can work, from where we can work to get your work done. There's no home on this earth. We're with Abraham. We're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And we're waiting to see you, Jesus, face to face. And God, I pray that you'd put down deep in each one of us that the Christian life is not about just attending a church or being part of a program or singing, just singing in the choir. But it's about selling out to the one that owns us. And that's you, Father. Stamp this upon our souls. Work in each one of our hearts. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, let's bow our heads and uh, let's stand all over the house tonight, if you would, with heads bowed, eyes closed. This is the invitation tonight. If God has spoken to your heart, about something that you need to do, listen right now. Would you just step out and tiptoe down to the altar tonight and just seal that decision with the Lord? Maybe somebody here tonight, the devil has tempted you, discouraged you, and you've given thoughts of quitting, but tonight you would come and say, you know what, he's worthy. <laughs> I'm not gonna stop. And the reason I'm not going to stop is because he's worthy. He's worthy of me going on. He's worthy of me continuing to serve, continuing to sing. He's worthy. What a message. What a challenge tonight. What a challenge. 
Maybe there's somebody here tonight and while Brother Malucci was preaching tonight, God laid somebody on your heart that you would like to reach this coming year with the gospel. Tonight, you just tiptoe down to this altar, mention their name to the Lord. We're gonna pause just for a few moments tonight. If you need to come, altars are open. Maybe tonight you just need to sail out. Lord, I'm, I'm all in. I'm giving you all of me tonight. You take me where you wanna take me. Use me how you wanna use me. If you're here tonight and you say, preacher, I'm, I'm not sure I'm saved. I don't know for sure that I'm going to heaven when I die. Listen, if you'll come tonight, we would love to take the word of God and show you how you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. So if you're like that here tonight, preacher, I'm not sure I mean going to heaven. Listen, come on, we'll, we'll meet you here tonight. Try to help you. Father, I'm thankful for what you're doing right now. Holy Spirit, thank you for working. Lord, I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know... I, Lord, this service has helped me. Lord, I'm gonna go away tonight challenged. Lord, I believe to be better, a better servant for you. Thank you for reminding us tonight, Lord, that you're worthy and you're worth it. You're worth it. Lord, tonight, work in hearts. Father, whatever decision needs to be made on this December the 14th, 2022, I pray will be made tonight. Save the lost. Lord, encourage the saved. God, challenge us. Father, help us to be soul winners. God, help us to be soul conscious. Lord, continue to, to build the church. And I pray that Jesus would receive glory from it all. Have your way now. We thank you, Lord. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Anybody else need to come tonight before we, before we go?